Kayser Cast episode 23 uh, interview E today is Kelly McCabe from PEM. So we're going to get to that here in a little bit. Uh, but right now, just open segment. Chloe's actually here in uh, Lincoln this week. So we're both in the Kayser Cast studio. <laughs> we need to brand this room. We do. Yeah. And get a little bit better video feed, I think, and get some better lighting, like you said. A ring light, you know. Let's go full influencer. So um, this week, you and Abby Ann did some more hiring-focused stuff and went to a job fair. That's the first time that we've ever had like a booth at a job fair. So what was your, what was your take on bringing the finishing industry to just like a local job fair? I can't speak for Abby Ann, but I had the best time. I thought it was really fun. Um, so much of the hiring work we do is, you know, through the computer, like there's never really a face attached. You talk to someone, but you have no sense really of who they are, or what they look like, anything like that. Whereas this was like in-person networking, um, explaining what powder coating is. We had this video rolling of what a day in the life of Kayser looks like. And that really, I think that garnered a lot of attention. Um, and so, you know, I'm sure that the person on the other end of the conversation felt like we were more real as well yeah. than they normally would on a phone screen. Um, so I thought it was good. You know, it was an interesting experiment for us. I don't know if anything will come of it hiring wise, but it certainly can't hurt to meet people. So. Yeah. Hope, I mean, uh, I feel like if anything, we learned a little yeah. bit as we try to get more people interested in the finishing industry. So we have more of a pool to draw from because so it was at uh, SCC, Milford, which is a community college, but like there is, you can't measure in powder coating or blasting. So you're like the only way for them to know about it is for us to kind of start to get out there and get in front of them. Yeah. So, yep. And for what it's worth, if you're considering a job fair, the SCC Milford job fairs, at least the ones we did this week, were incredibly well organized. Shelly Toll, I think is her name, um, headed all of that up. And she just, it was like down to a science. Like they got you in, they got you out. There were plenty of people there to help. It was just lovely. Great. What did you fix this week? I'm working on our larger oven, the... um... The burner box fan, so that like the main fan that kind of cycles the air through the oven, um, just having some issues with some vibration. I think that the over time the shaft getting heated and cooled so much because it's kind of right there by the burner box, it started to warp a little bit. So we're getting some vibration, and I work. I was trying to get the everything kind of refastened because it's vibrating so much, everything was loosening up, um, but that didn't seem to work pretty much came unraveled again the next day. I mean, it's still running, but it's it's not going to go that way forever. So I ordered some parts, and um, it's not an easy like part to change out. Um, so I, I don't know how it's going to go. I did, So I just pretty much ordered everything that I could possibly need to just like totally replace it. Hopefully I don't have to do that, and I can just get it figured out with a couple different things, but I might have to get some, weld up some mounts or have somebody weld up some mounts for us to just kind of control the vibration. It's always had that issue, I feel like, but it's it's really, really bad right now. Is this the first time you've had major repairs to do on this oven? No, it seems like for us, um, the ovens always just require a lot of maintenance. Yeah. And they're hard to work on 
because if you're using them during the day, they're hot, obviously. So you can't, it's not something easy. You can just shut off and try to work on and then start it back up. And the ovens are so key to what we're doing with drying and curing that if they're down, you can't really do anything else. Um, so it's makes it difficult to work on them at all. It has to be at night or on the weekends. And then you're dealing with so much heat in and around the burner box that you're going to have parts that warp and get holes burnt in them. And, um, so we're over time, we've come up with our own little tweaks to try to make things last a little longer and work a little bit better, but it's still, I mean, um, people don't get the visual until they actually like stand inside the oven and see like with it off and see how big it is. And like, it's, it's not just like your oven in your kitchen, right? So this is huge because you can drive a, a whole trailer or a car in it or in terms of like a car frame or something, things that we powder coat. Um, and so to heat a big area like that, it's a huge burner, like extremely, extremely large. So then you're just dealing with trying to control that flame and keep it contained and so you can utilize the heat from it. Um, but then, of course, like... You, you've got some stuff close to the near flame that's getting really, really hot. Um, and so it just wears out. And it's hot for nine hours a day, five, six days a week, right. maybe seven days a week. Like yeah. that's, I mean, that's a lot. Yeah. Overall, it's like a pretty simple piece of equipment. This is a burner. It's a big rectangular box with a burner in it and a fan. Um, so, I mean, it, it does work well. It's just when it, when things start to wear out and it's, and it doesn't work anymore or it stops working and that's a huge problem mm-hmm. and usually it's not a, a completely easy fix because it's hard to access like the burner's not just out in the middle of nowhere because you don't just want like an open flame shooting out onto the parts so you there's panels that you have to remove and so it's it's not like super accessible whereas like a um pressure washer like we're going to be talking with kelly about from pem that's pretty at least the way they build theirs it's really easy to get in and, and work on it you just you shut the water off shut the power off open it up change your part and then just go right back to to pre-treating or washing so and i think that was it's probably the only thing that i fixed this week i can't think of Anything else? That's a good sign. <laughs> yeah, or maybe a bad sign for next week. <laughs> I don't know. Um, social media has been going really well for us. Um, so I don't know if you have a tip of the day, but you maybe you just want to enjoy the, <laughs> the 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 success you've been having and share it. <laughs> I just I feel like I've talked to a lot of people recently who um just really want to go viral, you know, like, and I think that your odds of just showing up on day one of social media and going viral are probably the same as winning the lottery. Would you say? Probably. Like it does happen, right? Some people do that, but, um, the average person, and I would put myself in that category. I am the average person. Like it is a grind, right? Yeah. And we've been grinding for three years. Yeah. Has it been that long when you started this part time doing it? I'm pretty sure it was 2018. It might be four years. Yeah. Um, and we are finally just now, I feel like, starting to see a little bit of growth. Like, it's been growing, like, yeah. steadily, but very slowly. Yeah. Right? And Because, then- unfortunately, when we first started doing it, um, we got in on the platforms when the organic reach was already yeah. 
um, extremely saturated. Right. So with Facebook and Instagram, LinkedIn, we've always done pretty good on because yeah. there, there's good organic reach there. But now do you want to talk about your favorite new platform? <laughs> I just really love TikTok. I just really love Reels, like short form video. It turns out is my jam. I really like it. And yeah. we've been getting a crazy amount of views. What, yeah. what, how many views was that one? That um, We had one this week hit 212,000, which for us is huge. Yeah. Um, and a lot of comments. It was like yeah. 1,600 likes. and Yeah. Yeah. This is just me reminding you that like it's not going to happen overnight, and that's okay. It's a right place, right time situation. It's a I've been putting in the work situation. Like you, just because you're not going viral immediately does not mean you're bad at this. Like just keep going. Yeah, what I would say. And we're more of like in awe that we even have a video with that much. Like yeah, didn't do anything particularly different. No, we didn't happen. So yeah, yep. But it is cool. Yeah, and then enjoy the successes when they happen. Definitely. All right, so we'll bring in um, Kelly with PEM now and get him on the phone. Kayser knows him as um, the Director of Sales and Operations at PEM, and we use PEM for all of our pretreatment needs. So our pressure washers in our wash bays, um, we get those from PEM, and um, they work fantastic. They also do a lot of other stuff, um, but we mostly use them for pre-treatment. Um, so thank you for being with us today, Kelly. How are you doing? Good. Glad to be here, Jace, Chloe. Looking forward to our discussion today and appreciate the opportunity to, I don't know, to let people learn more about PEM and how we work with companies like yours. And uh, yeah, we appreciate your past business as well. It's so nice to finally talk to you in person. I feel like all of our previous interactions have largely been over email. Um, so I'd love to kick it off just by having you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, where you went to school, and what you do exactly in a day. Sure. Yeah, I uh, I live near uh, Cleveland, Lee Center area in Minnesota, South Central Minnesota. Uh, same area I grew up, lived here my whole life. Um, and I'm the oldest of seven kids, large family, went to college in Mankato State University, uh, which is now Minnesota State, and got a business degree there in the late 90s, uh, business finance. And actually, I grew up doing uh, farm tiling and excavating. My dad and grandpa started a business years, you know, in the 50s and, and grew it through the 60s, 70s, dad got involved in the 80s, and then uh, myself and my brothers worked growing up doing farm tiling and excavating and running dozers and backhoes, and uh, it was a lot of fun, a good way to grow up. It's been so interesting talking to all these people in the finishing industry who have agricultural backgrounds. I wonder why that is. Yeah, I think uh, being in the Midwest here obviously helps. Most of our previous generations were all farmers. And and then some, you know, stayed with the farming operations and others ventured into, you know, different niches and ways to make a living as, you know, time went by. And, you know, we were fortunate enough to, you know, stay in a rural community, yet uh, we didn't make our living off the farms, but definitely worked with farmers and and those families, you know, growing up and uh, you know, all the communities around here is very similar. So. I guess it's a, a rural background, which which I'm happy to have. 
So how did you get your start in the finishing industry and how did you wind up at PEM? Well, like, like you probably have learned from most people when you're growing up and going to school and plan out your life, <laughs> you really don't know where you're going to end up. And that's, uh, it's, uh, it was an interesting way to get where I am today. And I'm, uh, you know, very happy to be where I'm at with all the diverse backgrounds and experiences. Um, when I got out of college, I went into business with my dad uh, in the tiling and excavating business for a few years and we did a large agricultural drainage projects, road construction, farm tiling. And, and then in the early to mid two thousands, um, that the dad sold that business. And I went to work for a precast concrete supplier through the, through our network with our, you know, construction industry and was a plant manager for the precast industry for a while. And, and then uh, after that, I, saw an opportunity as a facilities manager a little closer to home at Associated Finishing in Mankato and um, didn't know the first thing about powder coating, painting, industrial finishing, but um, had some good management and, and general experience. So I was able to get the job there back in 2007. So was that uh, like a job shop then with uh, batch booths and things? Yep, Associated Finishing is a, a large job shop finisher. Uh, back then there was one facility, now there's several around uh, Southern Minnesota. Uh, they had a couple conveyorized lines, several batch setups, liquid powder, stripping, blasting, silk screening, pad printing. So it was a good exposure to the industry in a variety of um, you know, processes. And my main responsibilities was equipment, utilities, environmental safety, um, you know, maintenance. So not necessarily the actual coating and cleaning, but from the equipment side. So that's kind of how I learned the industry. So they just threw you in. Can you talk about how you picked up those skills? Like how do you, you know, how do you switch industries and then develop a new career? Uh, just by getting thrown in, I, like you said, Chloe, I worked with uh, the the engineer who was on staff that uh, helped train me, uh, Joe Applehoff, and he was uh, very good to work with, taught me a lot, uh, learned equipment, maintenance, and um, he kind of let me handle more of the planning side, the, you know, the costing, the environmental wastewater, air permit. He really taught me um, how all those things were developed. And we worked together for a while and there was uh, some turnover and eventually I, be I became the facilities manager uh, without Joe and brought in a few other maintenance people. And, and then um, back in 2007, eight, nine, 10, we developed a spray lean inline washer for a need at Associated Finishing. And that brought me over to the equipment side of the business at PEM, which had historically been the spray wand, pressure washer style uh, pretreatment equipment. So what does PEM stand for exactly? Uh, initially, it was phosphatizing equipment manufacturing. And then as technology developed, uh, new chemistries came out 
for pretreatment, such as zirconiums. Uh, the name got changed to pretreatment equipment manufacturing. And then over the years, as we developed other products that weren't specifically pretreatment, uh, we shortened it to PEM. Okay. And that's all in Minnesota then? Yep. Our uh, facilities in Mankato, Minnesota. We just built a new um, building in 2019, added a tech center, a training center, and all of our offices, inventory, everything is under one roof. We had been in several different facilities, you know, in different parts of the area as we were growing. And it's now nice to be uh, every, all the employees and all the operations under one roof. So under the PEM part, um, how many employees are there on average throughout the year? Um, there's uh, two owners and about five other people involved in sales operations, admin, and um, it's been pretty stable. Um, you know, not a, we're not a large company numbers-wise. We cover a lot of territory and a lot of a lot of ground, but without a you know big over, overhead as far as labor. So how big of a territory do you serve and what industries are represented? We, we will cover all, all the United States, a lot of Canada, uh, some Mexico, and a lot of our equipment is shipped overseas wherever our customers are located. Uh, you know, if somebody has a facility in China, Indonesia, wherever, um, you know, we'll ship it to the broker and they'll take it from there we don't normally um you know we don't travel overseas or support physically there but we have a lot of equipment around the world and um the strength you know our strongest markets are obviously the the midwest through the you know the corn belt the ohio pennsylvania uh, minnesota iowa kansas wisconsin illinois indiana you know that's where most of the manufacturing is that we support, but you know we're we're getting some more customers in Wyoming and you know different places where there historically hasn't been a high volume of you know that type of business. That's interesting. And is it mostly the finishing industry, or are there other industries that require spray wands for different reasons? Yeah, we're we're focused one hundred percent on the finishing industry today. Uh, anybody that has something that needs to be painted, powder coated could be a potential customer um you know and that's a lot of different types of industries within the finishing industry so um there's certain areas of that finishing world that we focus on the, you know the small to mid-sized job shops oems uh, fabricators a lot of people that are possibly you know outsourcing finishing looking at bringing it in-house uh, there's a lot of opportunities with those type of operations so um, we like to, you know, we've got a lot of customers and we like to, you know, see them grow and, and grow along with them. So what does a normal day look like for you? Like you get to work in the morning. What's the first thing you do? Well, like probably like everybody else, check my email. Um, <laughs> That's universal, I, I think. Yep. Um, actually, I do that first thing when I get up, when I wake up, but then uh, get into the office. I probably travel about 30% of the time around the country, whether it's to, you know, trade shows, sales meetings, 
and mostly just meeting potential customers or, or existing customers working on special projects. But when I'm not traveling, working with uh, mainly with Brad and Maddie and Steve in the office, um, Maddie's kind of takes on the admin duties, the paperwork, the daily flow. Brad keeps things coming and going, um, shipping, inventory, tech support, uh, our service program. So between sales operations and administration, we work pretty closely to, you know, we keep each other involved with, with everything really to, you know, to, so everybody knows what's going on and communicate well. And I'm doing quotes every day, um, talking to chemical suppliers. I, uh, I know you've had Bill Townsend on your podcast. I've listened to a couple of those episodes and, and I've actually referred those to uh, other people because Bill gives a, you know, in your conversation with UJC, really gives a good overview of pretreatment and what it is, how it works. Um, you know, it's good if somebody's in the industry, it's a, it's a good introduction to why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah, definitely. And he was the one that turned us on to you guys. Cause when we first started, we had like an old used pressure washer, um, from like Fremont or galaxy at the time, um, from like way back in the day. And, and it was, it looks, it was really similar to your guys's, or maybe it was one of yours and it was, was bought through them. That's why I had their sticker on or something. But then Bill like gave us all your guys's information. And so that's where we got like our first good pressure washer that actually worked consistently. So <laughs> good. Yeah. And that's, that's how I spend a lot of my time too, is talking to people like Bill around the country, um, learning what their needs are, what their customer needs are, um, you know, teaching them up what, what the PEM can offer. And that's really our, you know, or one of our main sales drivers is just, you know, that network in various areas of the country. So what percentage of the time is your team like helping customers solve problems as opposed to just straight selling products? I feel like the two really go hand in hand when it comes to equipment. Yeah, that's where Brad and I really work closely together. Um, we've got it set up. So I, I'm doing all the equipment quotes, whether it's for a a spray one P300 system or a washer or booth or oven or whatever. But Brad is responsible for after the sale support, making sure the customer, um, you know, gets the product on, on time, helps with startup. And then through that process, a lot of times their technical people, their engineers, their maintenance people will contact Brad and Steve, you know, for years to come and, and they'll, help them keep things going, train, um, and then when it's time to, you know, add capacity, swap out a machine, um, you know, then then they'll bring me back in the loop to, you know, to help see what they need on the sales side for uh, for more equipment or if it's something that we don't offer, you know, we'll help them as much as we can with our network in the industry to point them in the right direction. How much have your products evolved since you started there? I mean, is it something like that's always being revised and changed and, you know, modified? Or is it kind of a standard, like it works no matter what, and it's going to keep working no matter what? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's the P300 spray wand is a more mature product where they went through the development of it, you know, years ago. And what we're doing now is tweaking 
making small improvements, but the concept and the process is very stable. Um, yeah, so I can attest whole... to that. Pretty much bulletproof. There's pretty, it's, it's put it in place and it works well. And obviously some things wear out and you got to replace them, but um, it's definitely not a piece of equipment that gives us much headache, which is really, really nice. Yeah, and that's good to hear. And, uh, you know, as you know, Jace, there's, there's a handful, a few parts you want to have on the shelf that our wear, wear parts are, are, you know, periodic replacement because you, you've got pressure, water, heat, chemical. There's going to be some wear and tear, but we try to build it so it's accessible, easy to swap out parts. They're available, um, you know, and, and as painless as possible. So, uh, some of our other products are there's more of a transition of improvements. I mentioned the the Spraylene inline washer. Uh, we developed that back in 2008, 2009. We started bringing it to trade shows in 2012, um, and that was kind of a sporadic sales, periodically up and down. Lots of revisions. We didn't build the same thing twice, you know, for several years, but. Now here we are 10, 12 years later and, and we've got a pretty nice standard there. So, um, you know, there's always things that we're looking to improve, but it's not, not the major renovations that we've done in the past. So when did you guys, so the, the inline uh, washer, that's more like an automated washing system where the, the spray ones that we've been talking about is a manual. When did you guys start doing um, or providing like some powder booths and some ovens and wash bays, because I know me and you have talked a little bit about like um, powder booths and, and things like that. Cause I, I, I really knew you guys as like pre-treatment company. And I didn't necessarily realize that you guys started to kind of service the other um, types of equipment that go with powder coating. Right. Yep. And that's been a more recent development for our, you know, our growth strategy. And what's happened over the years is, you know, we've always been known for the, the pretreatment side, and and that's always, you know, that is our our focus. We're a we're a pretreatment kind of type specialty company, but the life that we developed with our job shop sister company really formed us to be flexible and efficient. Um, you know, as you know, in the job shop world, if you're not efficient, if you don't have good line density, if you don't have you know, parts in front of the gun and your oven's full, you're probably not gonna stay in business. So that flexibility and our network with the finishing industry in general, other equipment companies, the chemical industry, you know, as we developed the Spraylene washer, that got us into another market for small footprint conveyorized systems that were maybe more economical than a, a custom stainless system. And then, you know, customers like you, You've got the spray wand. We're we're already custom, you know, working together. We know each other. Where do I where do I go for a you know a batch oven? I need a powder booth. And years past, we would you know refer to people that we would recommend in the industry. And that was now with our new facility, our new capabilities. That was an area that we can offer an option for the customers as a a PEM package with the spray wand. Um, there's a lot of companies that sell really good equipment. I know recently you had spray equipment, the GEMA rep. Um, we, uh, we work with a lot of companies in the industry, 
but there's a lot of those companies that haven't specialized on the pretreatment side as well as the, the booths, the ovens, the guns. So with our knowledge on the pretreatment side, we felt that was a, an advantage and uh, you know hopefully a valuable resource that we can offer our customers as well. I'm just Definitely. curious, this is probably a can of a worms of a question, but just like, would you, can you give us a sense of what the finishing community is like on a national scale? Like, I feel like at Kaiser, you know, we're very focused on our grind and what we're doing. Um, and there's a certain amount of, you know, conversation that we're having on social media with other people in the industry. But as someone who goes to trade shows, as someone who collaborates with other shops, like, What's your sense? I mean, are people in collaboration or competition or is there both? Is it big? Do you kind of see the same people over and over? Yeah, I would say from my point of view, there's a lot more collaboration to grow together and work together in the industry than competition. Uh, there's definitely competition. You know, it's, it's, it's a competitive market. You can get, you know, batch systems and any type of products and there's a wide variety of costs and quality levels and you know we try to help educate what's you know what's your budget what's your throughput what's your quality level and make a recommendation on you know you want the, do you need the cadillac is that going to you know pay for itself or do you just need to get something going to you know start a business or you know with cash in mind and hopefully scale up later so we work with those companies across the United States and try to add value where we can, where we'll, we'll maybe provide our spray wand to somebody that's put in a batch system in Pennsylvania or Oregon or Florida. And then on the other hand, we might already have an existing contact in Florida and they come to us and we package within the industry for our customers. So it, it kind of goes both ways. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So you were just at a conference recently. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I was down in Orlando uh, last week for the PCI powder coating week. Um, they had a portion of it was vendors where we had a little tabletop set up with literature and you know, a nice hall full of industry suppliers to meet the job shop uh, end users, the startups. And they had a good technical portion where they offer uh, technical training classes, uh, seminars. I was able to speak about ma mainly manual pretreatment and batch systems at one of the talks. And uh, I think the feedback was really good, a good variety of technical information, good networking. Uh, the attendance was up as we come out of COVID here, which was encouraging. There was definitely a lot more buzz in the room than there had been. Uh, last year so i've never been to any type of conference like that even though i've been in the industry for a decent amount of time now um what should i be going to this what are, what are your thoughts on that yeah i think um i think jason would it would be good for a company like yours and whether it's you or some key people uh to network with the, the chemical coders association the powder coating institute um you know, some of those local uh, suppliers that have uh, vendor fairs, um, everybody is there to educate, um, see what the new technology is, see uh, who's coming out with what that may be uh, more efficient or a game changer in the industry. 
and and I think you'll see it's a, you know, I haven't been involved terribly long, but you know, over the last ten years, um, you know, I'm probably not one of the young guys anymore, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> but but it's it's strange how many people that are you get to meet, and and then the, you know, personally, you can go to them when you have a project. You know, who's in what territory, who's strong in you know certain products, or um, you know, to help customer or to you know, figure out how to supply something for an opportunity. So I was poking around on the PEM website and I noticed that you have a technical training center and you just said that you, you know, spoke at this conference recently. So it seems like training is very important to you. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, that's kind of uh, one of the drivers that our, our owner, John Kapsner, has really, that's been his project the last few years. And it's, uh, you know, we've had some great benefits from it already. We built a nice training center with all of our equipment operational. Uh, we've got a four-stage spraying washer, a spray wand with a wash bay, powder booth, cure oven, dry off oven. And what we want to do is offer it to our customers, to the industry, to chemical suppliers. Um, it's a place where you can um, bring your parts figure out what chemical you're going to use, what powder. We can recreate the process. We can help uh, with support from our job shop world. You know, not only just here's the equipment, here's how you operate it, here's how much it costs, but how do you rack parts? How do you hang parts for drainage uh, visibility? How to efficiently um, store things when they're not in use? Uh, hooks, racks. Um, how much room do you need for your you know, cardboard, packaging, um, you know, we can easily tell you how many square feet a, a system will take, but depending on your process and the flow, if you've got a high volume system, you're probably gonna need just as much space, if not more for raw parts, finished parts, packaging to keep that line fed and, you know, get things out of the way to, to keep production moving. So there's a lot of variables like that, like that we, you know, can offer. Um, We'll offer it as a part of our system. Um, we're doing a project in Kentucky right now. We've got a couple people coming in uh, that are new to the industry. They're they're new to powder coating, so they'll be there for a couple of days, and we'll do a session on pre-treatment, one on coating, one on curing, and talk about maintenance stuff like that. So wow. So if I were new to powder coating and were interested in starting my own operation, like how would I get in touch with you and how would I enroll myself in your training center? Well, yeah, just through the website. Uh, we've got a general sales at femmeclip.com email that most of us see and start the conversation of what you're looking for, um, if it's a good fit. And, you know, we're somewhat centrally located around the country, but um, we hope to make it well worth the travel expense, even for people from the coasts or down south, to get the value to have some real custom education, and and then we'll go out for dinner and we'll get to know you. We'll have lunch, whatever, do some socializing as part of it too to kind of get that relationship off on the right foot and and really learn what your needs are, and um, you know, and then there's certain things that are we want to do for the industry, like we posted a chemical coders. Uh, meeting for the Twin Cities chapter. Um, we'll do some regional sales meetings. Uh, if the chemical company wants to host a 
uh, group of salespeople. We're happy to offer our facility for stuff like that. And, and then also we want to use it to create some revenue and help uh, sell equipment, obviously. Touch it, feel it, you know, really understand what you're, what you're purchasing. So hopefully it's a win-win for the, you know, for sales, for the customer and the industry. That's great. And I noticed that you have a lot of tutorials and training videos on your website as well. Yeah, that's something that we have some on there. And that's an area that we probably need somebody like you, Chloe, that's a <laughs> social media uh, <laughs> IT support manager that can, I've got a lot of ideas of more things I want on there. You know, some of the more routine things that the guys get calls on that we could have a training session on how to rebuild a pump, how to change in a motor flow switch, you know, some of the more repetitive things that would uh, people might appreciate and would save a little bit of the guy's time too, so. Great. So you were just at PCI. I saw also that you're gonna be at Fabtech. What other um, events do you attend that people could come find you? Uh, the main show uh, for us annually is the Fabtech show. Uh, last fall it was in Chicago. This year it's gonna be in Atlanta. Um, that's where we probably get the most visibility with the industry. It's the largest show. Um, well, we actually attend the SEMA show as well in Vegas, which is probably a little larger, but the Fabtech show is probably more people specifically focused to our markets and uh, looking forward to that again. So we, we come away with a lot of leads there, a lot of discussions, get to meet some customers in person that we no, probably wouldn't normally meet depending on where in the country we are and and learn what's you know what people like what issues there are show show what we're up to and and it's been a good uh i think we've been doing that since 2011 or 12 consistently so that's the, that's the main one and then we've done like i said the pci show last week uh, we've done the natm trailer manufacturing shows the chemical coders regional shows um those are most of them and then there's like i said some smaller areas uh, that we get invited to around the country as well for more more custom markets so that's a lot of in-person time which is great um what role if any do you think that social media plays in educating people and i guess making sales well what we're doing today is <laughs> it's uh stuff I'm looking forward to doing more of. And I think it's gonna be good for everybody involved. I think, uh, Jace, you've stated that um, you're starting to see some value from people coming to you as you know a knowledgeable resource and learning what Kaiser is. And uh, you know I think doing stuff like this, uh, LinkedIn, we're not real strong online. That's one of our goals you know, in, the, in the near term to to get more visible online. And I, I just wanna make sure we do it right. I don't wanna start and stop and restart if we don't have to. So we wanna you know, take stuff like this that we're learning and, and figure out how to, how to help ourselves you know, make that first step forward. Yeah, I think it can be very daunting for companies that don't have, you know, a strong online presence, which PEM is not one of those companies. Like you clearly have a strong online presence. Your website is a wealth of information. Um, 
So I feel like you're ahead of the game already, but I know that, you know, it can be a struggle for someone who's new to the social scene. Right. And I also want to still be that small, personable, you know, family style business right. that, you know, we want to talk to people in person. We want to, we want them to be able to call our, call us direct and we don't want an 800 number, right. you know, service answering our phones. And hopefully we can maintain that as we grow, which I, you know, I think that's why people enjoy working with us. Hopefully, um, you know, it's not uncommon. We'll say, we'll hear from a, someone, uh, whether it's a vendor or a customer, you know, yeah, I really appreciate that you answer the phone. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> or you're, you know, we try to be responsive if we're not able to answer right away. And, um, you know, and even when Brad's helping people and, and the way things are in the economy right now, he'll say, all right, I'll, you know, we'll run that down to FedEx. We'll get that out in a half an hour. And, and people are, you know, more and more surprised by that. So that's, that's kind of the style of business we want to keep offering. Yeah. I was going to bring that up because with all the supply chain issues, um, there isn't any from ordering from you guys that I've been experienced. So that's, that's a really key point that when, like right now it feels like if you do have a piece of equipment that goes down or you're in need of, of looking for something to expand and then you go to get a quote on something. It's like, Oh yeah, it's, it's about uh, 14 months out. It's like, Oh, all right. Uh, that's probably not going to work. I don't even know if I'm going to need it 14 months from now, but working with you guys, it's like you ask if, you know, ask for a quote and then it's like, okay, what's the lead time going to be like? Well, uh, we're not, we don't got too much going on this week, so we should get it out by the end of the week. I'm like, dang. All right. What's your secret? How do you do that? Well, that's really where, uh, Brad, Brad Leiferman comes into most of those situations. He's he's probably our best salesperson, even though he's technically, you know, inside operations after the sale support. Um, he really hounds things until they're done with, um, you know, if a customer has an issue and they're not, you know, he'll tell them to try something, call them back. He'll follow up, make sure, you know, they're not waiting on us. On the vendor side, um, he really pushes our vendors to communicate well, and we know who our strong vendors are and, and the ones that don't communicate well. And and when there's something, you know, if Jace, if you call and you need something and Brad looks into it and it's not available for 14 weeks, you know, he'll get creative and try to find another supplier or, you know, do what he can, not just, well, you know, that's the way it is, sorry. Yeah, so, I can't ever remember a time in all of the like seven-ish years that we've been getting stuff from you guys that it's more than a couple days before, you know, usually it's has to have shipped the same day that we ordered it or the next day because it's, it's usually only a few days and it shows up at our place. So that's always been really, really nice because with the pre-treatment stuff, you know, that's so key to what we're doing and we try to have spares, but sometimes it's a part that wears out that you didn't realize that you needed or you didn't have enough extras of and and then all of a sudden like you're down and now you can't pre-treat so having a that part show up in a couple days or it can be it's on the shelf so it can just be overnighted is fantastic yeah and that's a really another you know focus that we have that what we're doing is you know it's pre-treatment it's finishing specific but some of the things we sell you know some things are unique to PEM but a lot of the stuff is can be found in general industry. And if we have it on the shelf and we can get it to you in a day or two, um, we're a lot more likely to sell it than 
um, you know, if we say, well, it's going to be two weeks and you need it, you're going to find it somewhere. Right. Um, the other thing is with the maintaining our inventory levels, obviously, like most companies, we've bumped up our inventory with the longer supply uh, issues we've ran into. And Brad's really, you know, we've been nip and tuck on a lot of stuff for the last year, but he's been able to allow us to avoid those big issues where it just, you know, we're not missing sales because we can't get stuff out the door. We maybe got to delay them a little bit at times, but um, but he he's done a great job keeping a close eye on our inventory levels, um, working with our vendors, longer lead times, you know, and then the other thing is most of our stuff is built and manufactured in the United States and the Midwest specifically. So that helps, but we we are getting stuff from Germany, Italy, different supplies, um, and it's just kind of a, a mixed match of everything with <laughs> the economy. And then, you know, the biggest issue recently has been freight. There's been a lot of headaches with freight that he's had to work through and some things are out of our control, but we just kind of keep, keep working day to day to get things in and out as, as well as we can. So if someone had the P300 wand um, and they were kind of new to this, what parts and pieces would you recommend that they have as backup in case of things wearing out? No, we've, we've, we include a, a spare parts list with uh, most quotes. And if you bought everything on there, you know, it's probably $900 worth of items. And out of that, you know, you want to have a flow switch, an unloader, some metering tips, uh, you know, maybe an extra injector to swap out to rebuild periodically, uh, you know, and then your hoses, you know, wear and tear over time. Um, there's not a whole lot, you know, if, if you're in an area where there's moisture, maybe you're close to the washer, you're sucking moisture into your burner area, you know, an igniter, a control module, burner module, stuff like that. But uh, for the spray wand system, none of that is, is real expensive. Uh, the most of the cost is in the coil and, uh, you know, the pumps, they, they need to be re rebuilt periodically, but nothing, uh, it's not like you got to have $10,000 worth of stuff on the shelf. Yeah, that's nice. That's nice. Um, so I, I wanted to ask you, I feel like, well, Jace mostly, but like me as a result of that winds up spending a lot of time on social media talking about the importance of pretreatment and trying to convince people in the finishing industry that this is actually important. So I was curious to hear kind of your pitch on that. How do you convince powder coaters that pretreatment is something they need to pay attention to? Well, obviously that's our, our primary focus every day. And there's a lot of ways to clean parts. Um, you know, there's blasting, there's solvent wiping, there's different pressure applications, high pressure, low pressure, immersion. And I think working with your chemical suppliers, your paint suppliers, powder, um, you know, the presentation I did last week in Orlando, I was with a joint uh, supplier of powder and application equipment. And after my presentation, he, he said, Kelly's part of this process is the most important. Everybody agrees you gotta have a clean part. You can't build pretreatment if it's not clean, you can't get adhesion, you know, and blah, blah, blah. You got rework, you got added costs, and it's a mess. So I think everybody in the industry understands generally 
how important it is to have a clean part. But just the, the working with everyone to utilize your network, learn why, how, and I think what we're doing at PEM is there's a lot of ways that you can provide a clean part. We're trying to take it to the next level where you get that clean part every time you pull the trigger, every time you bring the part into the wash bay, get it uh, repeatable with durable equipment and get the same quality, you know, day in, day out, which is, you know, it's a big challenge. But, you know, if we can get, keep working ourselves closer and closer to that, and at least if you do have an issue, you know why, you go back to the way it was and away you go again. So there's a, you know, it's a big industry as far as processes. Everybody's process is probably slightly different. Um, we don't sell these systems and say, you know, A, B, C, D, do it exactly this way. You know, I'm sure, Jace, you've got your processes. There's other job shops that, in OEMs, uh, depending on time, throughput, labor, um, you know, it works for them. Some right around a higher concentration, a lower temperature, different pressures. Um, you know, it's just a, a big balance to find what works for you and then repeat it, you know, day in, day out. Are there common types of problems that you notice customers having, or is it just, you know, does it vary wildly between people because their processes are so different? I think one of the more common issues, I mean, other than just general wear and tear and, and learning the equipment, is there's a wide variety of water quality throughout the country. And, you know, different levels of water, whether it's high in hardness or you get scale buildup or it's low in alkalinity and it's, you know, or somewhat acidic. And how it works with the equipment, the heat, and the chemical. Um, we've learned by working with, you know, a lot of different chemical companies in the industry. There's certain chemicals that are more aggressive or can attack the equipment, you know, faster. And by doing certain things, whether it's a, a buffer or, a, you know, flexibility with water quality, you know, we can get, get away from some of those issues. But that's kind of a moving target as we, you know, get issues. Sometimes they're common and other ones we really got to, you know, investigate with everybody involved to, you know, to get to the right cause. Sometimes it takes a little longer than we would like, but then we all, you know, we all learn something going forward too. So I think, you know, water quality and, and you know, people, more people using RO water, lower dissolved solids, higher quality rinses, better salt spray. Uh, there's, there's more of a trend for that as well. I might be putting you on the spot by asking you this, but what part of the country has the best water for pretreatment? Well, the Northwest, uh, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, uh, it's low in hardness, but it's also a little low in alkalinity. So it's very, it's a high quality water, but it, you know, it may start attacking some metal and pipe uh, faster than other areas. Uh, Minnesota, Iowa, Northern Iowa, very hard water, um, but it builds up a little scale and it, <laughs> it might protect the metal. Uh, you may have to descale it, uh, your equipment more often. So, you know, kind of a variety. And um, you want to work with your, your city or chemical supplier to learn what your water quality is, you know, depending on the season. With water tables, your pH may adjust from, you know, winter to spring from the same source. So it's good to know some of those variables.
That's interesting. Jace, how would you describe Nebraska's water? Probably in the middle. I feel like it's uh, decently hard and uh, has some alkalinity in it, but it's not. Um, we, we've never had a huge problem where we have to get our chemicals like severely adjusted. Um, and we we don't really have much problem with scaling on the PEM equipment, meaning like that a lot of buildup is happening inside the piece of equipment. So we've been, we're kind of lucky in that sense that it, it's um, pretty user friendly for us. Yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not aware that you have really any extremes either way. We don't, you know, we've got a lot of systems in, in your part of the world. And I don't know that uh, they're commonly issues due to water quality. So going back to talking about Brad, who I'm pretty sure must be a superhero, um, and just all of the, you know, the COVID issues and the supply chain issues and the freight issues, what adjustments can we make as your customers to help you help us during this time? I think just uh, communication in general. Um, Brad's a very good communicator, and when he gets something on his plate, he wants to get it resolved. And um, more feedback. You know, he's, it's helpful for him or Steve if uh, rather than talking to a purchasing person on the phone or, um, you know, if they could have somebody go out to the machine, stand in front of it, have some dialogue, and 95% and of the time they can troubleshoot it right there and, you know, fix the problem or, or get the correct part out. Uh, I think where, we'd, where we have issues with, having issues go on longer than they need to as if uh, we're not maybe aware of all the problems all the time. Um, there's a few processes that, you know, the average person may think, well, I have a nozzle issue or the injector is bad or, or whatnot, but Brad may diagnose it as something uh, electrical or a flow switch, and they may end up swapping out a few parts back and forth, you know, if somebody calls and orders parts, we'll, we'll send it to them, but it may not be the root cause of the problem. So then, you know, you go back and forth a couple of times and then, you know, that wastes time and downtime. So I would say just feel free to shoot us a call, email, um, you know, a lot of the chemical reps in the field know our equipment well. Uh, some of the, I don't want to say old guys, but guys that were involved years back, JC mentioned the, Fremont Galaxy Systems, you know, they're they're familiar with working on some of that type of equipment, and they're very knowledgeable as well, at least to diagnose issues. So just uh, don't be afraid to reach out, and even if it may sound like a simple solution, maybe it is, but it uh, doesn't hurt to double check just to make sure you got the right solution. What percentage of the time would you say that user error is the issue? Oh, never. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hard one. Um, you know, we, we design our sales and our structure that we're supporting a lot of equipment around the United States and North America from Mankato, Minnesota. We don't have um, service people on every small town and, and able to, you know, stop in tomorrow. That's why we try to develop a, you know, a solid product that's got some simple maintenance so we're not able to see, you know, if there are things that are being done that are incorrect or, and simple things like, you know, a lot, and not a lot, but fairly often somebody will call and then they'll 
they'll feel bad. They call back to, yeah, the, the gas valve was off, the water was off, um, you know, simple stuff like that. So we try to try to start at the beginning and, and work through and, but I'm sure there's some, there's some creative people out there that like to, you know, make things work and, and they do it very well, but it may not be the way the equipment was designed from us, but not to say they're not, you know, getting good product out the door, so. So we are coming up on an hour here. Um, so I just wanted to, I like to end all of these interviews with kind of the same question. What is something that you wish more people in the finishing industry knew and or what advice would you give to someone who's just starting out in powder coating? Well, I actually met a few people like that at the PCI show last week. They're, uh, they're there to learn the industry, which I think is a smart move to get started. They're meeting various suppliers. Um, I would say just, you know, whether you're new to the industry or bringing powder coating in house or training new operators, there's gonna be a learning curve and, you know, you gotta do it to learn it. I think at least that's how I learn. It's hard to learn from somebody showing or showing you or, or telling you, but uh, lean on your equipment suppliers, have your, equipment people talk to your chemical people talk to your powder people kind of build a team and i think that can speed up speed up the learning process and then um, you know it's not it's not anything that somebody with some a good market a good idea and motivation you know it could be a very lucrative opportunity for for the industry and for for a nice career so don't be afraid of it but you know try to get in with the right people and and have everybody grow together would be ideal. I like that. Don't go it alone. Well, thanks for, uh, I didn't talk much this time. I was just, I enjoyed listening to you. We, I always think of PEM as uh, one of our favorite suppliers when I'm going through, you know, we have a powder booth, we have an oven, we have wash bay and, and the pretreatment equipment that goes with it. And and obviously if we have good equipment, we're not, that's not turning over a lot unless we're going to expand, but like, um, usually the equipment companies are larger companies that are servicing a really big area. And, um, so they're usually pretty busy and they don't answer the phone and they don't have parts ready on the shelf and it's a long lead time. But, um, I know whenever we need something for the pressure washer, you guys are there and have the parts. And if I have a question, even if it's something simple where I think that there's a major problem and then Brad's just like, actually it's probably just this. And then I'm like, Oh, Yep, you're right. Thank you. Um, so it, I think of you guys as one of one of our favorite suppliers, even though it's not we don't deal with you guys constantly. It's just when a when a problem comes up or if something wears out. But I really appreciate you guys for that, and I enjoyed just listening uh, to you and Chloe talk because I feel like you're kind of you guys operate the same way that we do, and kind of a no nonsense and a lot of common sense, and and just try to do everything the right way. So we, we really appreciate that. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun and um, I'm really glad you invited me to your podcast. And I'm and by doing this, I know I've told several people about it and I'll be listening more as well. And uh, like I said, if, you know, we appreciate your business, we've got a couple of things in the works with you guys that uh, we hope to, you know, help you guys grow, we'll grow with you. And if it's not the right fit for what PEM offers, you know, we'll, we'll utilize our network and bring in the right people that I can, you know, go a different direction if that's the way to go. So that's, uh, 
you know, it can't be everybody to everybody, everybody, but um, try to do what's right for our business plan and and be as efficient as we can. Yeah, we're definitely looking forward to working with you guys more in the future as we keep growing and utilizing all your guys' services. So all thanks right. for well, your time I'll, today. Maybe I'll see you at the PCI show next year, Jace. Yeah, I'm going to have to. <laughs> now that you said that I need to do that, I, I respect your opinion very much. So I'm going to have to start yeah. looking into it. All right. Well, yeah. Thanks, Chloe. Thanks, Chase. We'll uh, we'll keep in touch. Thank you, Kelly. All right. That was a great uh, conversation between Chloe and Kelly. I know I didn't really talk very much. I was just um, enjoying listening to him. I didn't have a lot of questions. Um, How much do the two of you interact? Would you say? I just recently like got to know him. Um, I deal with Brad a lot uh, because when I need parts, he's the one that you know usually responds to the email. Um, because that's, that's what he does. Right. Mm -hmm. And ship stuff out and tactical questions and stuff, um, go to Brad. So, um, Kelly's given me quotes over the years on, uh, equipment. Um, but just recently I actually met him. He was, I had him, um, quote something and he happened to be coming through Lincoln cause he was at another shop down in Missouri or something. And he asked if he could stop by. And normally I tell everybody no, but i you know, PM is, even though we, it's not like we're buying from them every day, like we buy from a powder company or whatever, but their, their equipment works. Um, those pressure washers, they don't take heart, like they, they do need to be maintenance, but at the same time, like they don't take very much, like you can pretty much neglect it and it'll still run and still work. And that's hard to come by. Um, so I was, I, I said, yes, stop by. And so I met him in person. So this is probably only, it's probably been a month ago now. Um, and he's a nice guy and, 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 um, kind of every, you know, represented everything that I thought PEM was. And they're just normal people that do a good job and have common sense, which is nice and refreshing to deal with people yeah. like that. So, yeah. Yeah. This podcast has been an interesting journey in like you really getting to know people that you've interacted with probably for years. Would yeah, you say? definitely. And changed my opinion on yeah. quite a few yep. people just because, um, if anybody, anybody that deals with me knows that I don't talk very much and I'm not going to talk about anything personal. Um, not going to ask you anything, any personal questions. I'm just always down to business and, and then, you know, the conversations are short and sweet. Um, and then, so like, I don't know, you just form opinions of people based on that. Um, but then when I get to know them a little bit more on the podcast and know their background, then it is interesting. Yeah. We had a question on Instagram. I think it was maybe last week. Uh, it came um, from jbissell21, and they left a comment on a reel of Will's spraying powder. The question is, do you always turn the booth lights off prior to the flashlight check? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, we might, if there's two sprayers in there, one gets done before the other. Somebody might grab a flashlight and then just leave the booth lights on until the other sprayer is done. Um, but, yeah, we usually turn them off. It just seems, I don't know why we started doing that, but it just seems like it's the easiest way to catch if there's stuff wrong. That way you don't have any glares or reflections and your the, the really high-intensity flashlights that we have can point out the areas where you're light. And, I mean, it works when you turn the lights off and then grab that flashlight and you're kind of moving it at different angles. You def 
after you've done it long enough and your eye is trained to it, you can see where you're light. And definitely you can always see where you're heavy because there's like extra buildup and it just looks bad. Um, but seeing the areas where you're light, like light on a weld or something, usually you'll you'll see the metal kind of showing through um, the powder. And if you just had regular, like the lights on in the booth and you're just looking at it without any extra light, you might not see it just because you don't have the that light intensity in, in the area. So, yep, so what do you do if it. it's heavy? Like, how do you fix that? Blow it off with either an air blower, but most of the time our mouth. So, okay. like, we probably, maybe we could, someday we can get a video of it. But usually, um, like, Wills is doing it or if, I'm in there helping or if it's like, let's say it's a difficult thing that when we're trying to make sure we don't build too much powder, not all powders flow out well. So some of them we know we can't build extra. And so then, um, you'll see me and Wills or Wills and somebody, whoever's in there with him, just like walking down a part, kind of our hands behind our back. Cause we don't want to touch anything. And we're just sitting there just going like, <laughs> and just blowing because you just like short little spurts of air that you're just blowing little spots off because sometimes like maybe it's a localized spot where you, you're just trying to get the excess blown off of there and um sometimes maybe it's down the whole part and the problem is is like you don't want like a full forced air blower because right. then you blow way too much off and then you're back to square one again um so yeah i'm surprised we don't have a video of that actually but it gets like like sometimes if you sprayed something and it just ended up too heavy, the whole part, which sucks, but then like you got to walk down the whole thing, like you, my cheeks start to get tired from really? blowing, and then like if you're like you can start getting lightheaded, yeah. you know, because you're like hyperventilating yourself. I have spent a lot of time recording people in that booth, and I've never seen them do that. Yeah, Will's, uh, we do so much of the same stuff now that like he doesn't, you know, sure. he doesn't have to do it very much. So it might be just be like a couple spots, but usually when we're training um, somebody new, um, then all you know it's like an eighteen foot long piece that you have to go down because they're like had two one extra pass too much or something. But yeah. I don't know what to say to sum this up. We covered a lot today. We did. Pre-treat your parts. Yeah, it was a good to like we talked about pre-treatment today. But we didn't really harp on it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, it's a change for us. It is. And <laughs> we like to harp on it. Yeah. And that's why, like, Kelly was just, he was talking about pre-treatment and equipment in a way that was like, it's obviously important and it had the underlying, but, you know, it was just informative and, and um, I mean, it should, when you do pre-treatment right, it should just work. And, like, with their equipment, it does. Yeah. With other pieces of equipment, it it would be a lot more of a challenge and it wouldn't be, he mentioned a little bit in there, something about that, like we, that they try to build something that, you know, everybody kind of has their own process, but they try to build a piece of equipment that once you establish a process that is repeatable and that's a hundred percent true. And that's key to the whole thing. So we will be back. I think next week, I think we have another one yep, we're one shooting more. shooting them all right in a row it's going to be somebody from the trucking industry yes one of our favorite truckers um so it will we're gonna have some laughs we're gonna give the trucking industry a hard time overall probably <laughs> and cover some of the common 
issues that come up that everyone gets frustrated with freight truck drivers. Um, and uh, we're going to ask our favorite driver to kind of just like bust the myths that we, that you get from a lot of the, all the, all the drivers out there. He's going to kind of set the record straight for us of what is capable and what is not capable of happening um, in a truck. So we're going to know the truth here soon. Yeah. So definitely tune in. Um, He will be a great interview because he has his own radio show. Yeah. So should be fantastic. Hey, is everything working good for you? You need anything? Anything broke? Anything leaking? Just make sure we stay on track with the yellows and everything will be fine. Little things lead to big things. When you stay late tonight, we need to get this job finished up. Overall, I think everybody's doing a great job. Keep up the good work getting hot out so make sure you're drinking plenty of water i know this job's been difficult and everybody's getting frustrated but if we can't do it nobody else can that's the reason why the job's here because nobody else could get it figured out just keep working at it don't get frustrated we'll keep collecting data taking good notes and we'll get it figured out does anybody else have anything